Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is 10.30 a.m. October 18th, Monday, uh, 2021. <laughs> um, today was my first, is my first day at Futurist. At my uh, first salaried 9 to 5 position, uh, you know, job, and pretty much ever. <laughs> Um, like at, at least as a full-time employee, I interned, I contracted, I did startup stuff, but it's my first actual full-time salaried position. So very interesting and we'll see how it goes. Um, but don't let that stop you. Don't let that fool you into thinking that I still do not believe in anarchy. <laughs> Cause every time, you know, Especially now as I know so much more about this. I'm just thinking about this from the perspective of, you know, when I start my own organization, you know, how do I um, channel like the best of these sorts of companies with, you know, innovation and and leadership and all this other stuff um, at the same time as have a flat structure, right? Um, Because you hear, you know, certain people have quote unquote flat structures in different companies, but of course a company is not set up are usually not set up to be worker owned to be something that is uh horizontal so <clears throat> excuse me so yeah um nonetheless i joined this team because you know i knew and has has have been able to experience what it's like working with them for a little bit and i knew they're they're good people you know they're very uh, um open and uh flexible and all this other stuff and uh it's just just cool so I'm looking forward to just seeing what it's like to work there for um, officially, you know, and all that other stuff and see how that plays out. I, again, I, I don't really know how much I can say about the specific project I'm, that I'm working on, at least to start with. Um, I think I mentioned before, I'm basically just making sure experiences um, are designed well. They're intuitive, easy for people to use, um, primarily folks that's like new to VR so that, um, you know, once they get in here, they're not struggling with the controllers or, you know, trying to understand how to look around the space or anything like that. They could just enjoy it <laughs> um, for whatever their purposes are. It might be anything from like training and stuff like that to um, teaching to uh, helping children <laughs> experience, like helping children, like in the in the uh, children's hospital stuff like that, experience just just better life. <laughs> um, it could be all sorts of things. So yeah, again, it's it's very interesting. And then, um, so over the weekend, I forgot what I did Saturday. What what, what was I doing Saturday? Um, I don't know why I forgot, but on Sunday we were playing badminton with the fam again, so that was really cool. My brother went and got a whole bunch of the uh, the shuttlecocks, the birdies, <laughs> because uh, our dog keeps, you know, going to try and eat the birdies. The uh, mostly for retention, but <laughs> um, yeah, we had to get a whole bunch of those. We got some little light, light in the dark ones, some uh, LED ones so that we can play while it's dark and, it's, and it was pretty cool um, but it's, it's quite chilly nowadays so you know if you're out too long or even right now my hands are getting cold and I'm not I'm not a fan of the cold I do not like cold weather but you know it is what it is um, I don't know why I forgot what I was doing Saturday I don't know but I finally finally started making some major progress on my newsletter so, um, before, like I, I mentioned that I felt like I was not just, I was just not writing the right things or, or feeling, you know, not exactly a wall, but lack of motivation. Even when I try to dedicate time towards, you know, the task, I would write a little bit and I'm just like, uh, okay, whatever. And it's, it's weird. Cause once again, I really enjoyed, um, at least conceptually, what I was going to talk about, like I was starting with intellectual property um, and why we should ban it, and um, I was going to even go into depths in starting with the idea of property in general, 
and then you know building up to the IP aspect but for some reason it just wasn't flowing for me it wasn't even when I forced myself to write it wasn't really you know doing much but then um, I think it was it was probably Saturday maybe Sunday no Saturday um, I started writing and I just started just just on this new idea I had um, stemming from all the research I've been doing into um, inequality and the truth of left versus right and all this other stuff and um, it started flowing I titled it uh, at least this section how to change the world or something like that <laughs> something silly like that and I was just just going I was like okay you know well I'm not gonna spoil it I'm not gonna spoil it because I'm about to I'm about to drop this thing well probably not in the next couple of days maybe <laughs> I don't know we'll see depending on how much time I can I can uh, give to this now but um yeah I, I well I'm probably gonna cut a lot of it out actually because the first part I'm, it was just me just just you know writing just it's <laughs> just because it was flowing finally but I do enjoy talking about this and I think this is the framework that I was looking for um, kind of subconsciously is to discuss not just you know all these individual ideas that I think are should change but why we even have them and and how we can think about them differently and all this other stuff and tying everything into the framework of history of the entire history of human human evolution and you know human development up to this point because in doing so I think it really helps us to understand you know again how we got here and why we do the things that we do one of the sections I had was um, um, understanding that we can change right because unfortunately there's this huge assumption that we can't change that we, this is just human nature or whatever um, and we have to do this the way we have to do things the way we do now because um, just cause right because <laughs> human nature humans are greedy blah 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 right and I and I basically t- you know just take apart all these assumptions and um because there are assumptions there's very little actual proof to all this stuff and it's really um based on uh either super religious or super um a I don't want to say naturalistic but like a a misconception of the natural world Right, which is kind of based on a religious kind of hierarchical nature, anyways. But yeah, anyways, I, I break all that down, so I don't want to. Actually, maybe well, I might as well talk about it. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like something I learned watching CJ the X. Um, he made an actually great argument about this. He said, you know, spoiling things is kind of overblown. Like the idea of, oh, don't watch it because I'm gonna spoil it for yourself or whatever. It's kind of overblown, and and this this for me is hard. Because I was, I'm the main one who's like, do not spoil this. If you say anything about it, I'm not gonna watch it. I'm, just, I'm not gonna watch it anymore. And I, I, I don't even reread or rewatch things. Um, very, 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 very rarely do I ever reread or rewatch anything. So the massive amount of books and stuff I read, I've never reread them. Even my favorite books, I've never have <laughs> because I felt like, you know, I didn't like spoilers. Like if it ruins the surprise for me. Um, and the twists and turns, and I feel like uh, that's going to take out the enjoyment. But CJ the X in his last video, <clears throat> um, or the one, what, was it that one? No. It may have been a different video. The one, yeah, he did one talking about Arrival, which is a super great freaking movie. I'm going to have to watch that again. <laughs> but he, he, did, he, he mentioned that the whole idea of spoiling is in and of itself a kind of... Uh, um, well, he, well, I forgot exactly what he said, but it's basically like not really appreciating the art for what it is. You're more so appreciating the the novelty rather than actual art. And um, to me, that hit hard because I was like, oh, ah, you may ha- you you may have a point there. Because uh, what what I do greatly enjoy with different types of art and literature and all this other stuff is the novelty is the fact that it's something new that I haven't thought about before I haven't seen before stuff like that and that's what I've been chasing all these years whenever I read something new or dive into a new area it's like I want to discover new stuff and I think that is good of course I don't think he's saying it's not good 
But he was also saying that good art um, or good, I guess, content in general <laughs> is, is things that you can appreciate and you can appreciate differently every time you see it again. Right, and I've heard that before, sort of, kind of, where people say, "Oh, every time I, you know, I, I read this thing again, I, I, I learn something different from it." Um, and to me, I, I was always like, "Nah," <laughs> I kind of wanted to, you know, um, you know, just disregard that. But what hit me with that is like when you listen to music, right? I can listen to the same song freaking dozens of times, and it's still like feels like new <laughs> um or i appreciate a different aspect of the song like the lyrics this time the the um the 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 special the sound effects um another time the instrumentation another time the the melody in this time like every time i, I experience it you know it's a different thing and then if if i experience it in different contexts right while i'm walking or while i'm while i'm doing some work or you know while i'm I don't know, singing it out loud or something like it's or dancing to it. Like all of those different contexts and all of those different times really helps me to appreciate that piece of music more and more. And I can't believe that I never really um connected that with other art. And so over the last couple of weeks, um I've been, you know, rereading some things and or rewatching some things and I have experienced that. Right? Like there's this web fiction I that I really like called uh the uh Legend of Renly Lee Ghost Hound. Um, it's a late RPG. One of the, one, I'm not gonna say one of the first, but it was it predates a lot of the other lit RPGs that's super popular um, nowadays. Well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly which ones are super popular, but um, before it was a thing, like before lit RPG was was mainstream, <laughs> and I, I, mainstream relatively to the you know fiction, web fiction kind of area, but nonetheless. It was it was very interesting, and I've been reading it for years. And um, recently, they started to rewrite, you know, some of the the, the first chapters. And I started rereading. I was reading them. I was like, huh, this is this is actually pretty nice, <laughs> because now like reading it, even though I know what's gonna happen, I was still gripped. I was still like, oh snap, dang, I forgot that happened. Oh snap, man, wow. And I <laughs> I still enjoyed myself, you know. So. I forgot where I even started with this, why I went on this tangent, but <laughs> I'll just go with it. Re- rereading and rewatching things, I think, is, in fact, you know, something. So, Oh, yeah, that's why I said that, because I didn't want to spoil my newsletter. Yeah, so, yeah, might as well talk about it, because, you know, the first time you hear something, and again, this is something that's hard for me to, to recognize and to, <laughs> to admit, but the first time you hear something or watch something or consume something right you, you you rarely ever are taking all of it in like it's almost impossible to take all of it in at first um and if you're like me and you really appreciate novelty and stuff like that look at it this way once again every time you see something or every time you you consume something again um some something that you thought was new like a, a new song or a new book or movie or something like that. If you really enjoy that thing, if it's not just a dumb, oh, I'm um, just turn my brain off. And well, even with that, like you, you, you can still appreciate it, you know, on um, multiple watchings. But anyways, like the point is, if you're if you're like me and you're curious and you really like the the novelty, you really like the the mystery of it, the unwrapping of it for the first time. Yeah, enjoy that, right? That's that's cool. But whenever you watch it again right now you can look for other new things other ways that you didn't even notice the first time and in that way you can appreciate it even more because now you realize how much new stuff is in it like you can realize how much of the mystery that you may have missed um especially when you go and and watch other people's analysis of of something right um you can see what they noticed and what you did not and then you're like oh wow I didn't even notice that aspect. Then you watch it again. You're like, oh, okay, I see it now, right? Or you may like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, they, were, they were reaching for that. But either way, like, <laughs> you can at least appreciate something um, in different perspectives and in new perspectives by taking some time um, away from it, coming back to it, or just re-watching it right, right afterwards now that you've learned or now that you've uncovered the mystery. There's probably more aspects of the mystery because here's another big thing, especially if it's a good, good content, right? 
the creators probably took a long time to create that thing. Whether it's a movie that's an hour long or a book that you can read in a weekend um, or whatever. Like, even if it's a, a web fiction like I enjoy where they are writing it for years and you've been reading it for years, they still probably took way longer because they took way longer to write it, to think about all the plot points, to, um, to create that mystery and all this other stuff. Like, they took a long, long time. A lot of research and all this other stuff. So it's unlikely that you'll, 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 you'll experience the, the whole thing at once. Like, it's, you, <laughs> I, I can't believe I just haven't seen it this way before, but that's also the joy of learning new stuff. <laughs> of learning when you're wrong. You're like, oh, snap. Now I see. I see I was wrong, right? But, yeah. All that to say, um, my newsletter. So, <laughs> oh, gosh, I feel like a... That was a wide tangent, but anyways. <laughs> so in my newsletter, I began talking about, um, first of all, like wanting to change the, change the world. And the fact that I've always wanted to change the world. And um, it's, in a way, I started this newsletter trying to kind of almost, if not justify myself, at least like um, give myself some credit. Right, because I I tend to not do that. I tend to be like, oh, don't listen to me. I'm just a dumbass. Like, <laughs> which is true. Like, I'm not I'm not the smartest person in the world or anything like that. I'm not some super expert on anything. Um, I didn't go to school. I, I I'm I'm still technically impoverished. Like, I, I don't make a lot of money. There's no reason um, on the surface as to why you should listen to me or, or or read or pay attention to anything I I say or do or write. But and this is where I had to give myself credit. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. All right, since before I even knew what the hell I was doing. I, I, I always love to start my story around the idea, around the the truth that I try to invent. <clears throat> excuse me. I try to invent hover cars. Like who who does that? It, it's a weird thing. And people, whenever I say that, people are like, "Oh, what? What? Really?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yes." Like I will seriously silly enough to think I can invent flying vehicles right and I was really obsessed with this idea and it wasn't just because flying vehicles are cool it was it it was that but also I seriously wanted to change the world I thought if we can invent these flying cars it could solve the problems that I was facing such as you know having um terrible cars like I and I and I realize now it's it's relatively rare compared to other people but for some reason my family has had a terrible history with car with with cars like i've i've experienced broken down cars and in so many situations everything from just running out of gas to you know the car breakdown and we have to push it to you know the car doesn't work and so i'm not sure if we'll be able to go to school or you know this that and the other and then we often lived on the other side the opposite side of wherever i was going to school like it was, it was very rare where I live. Not necessarily rare, but maybe half the time, maybe thirty percent of the time, or thirty to thirty to fifty percent of the time that I actually lived in not exactly walking distance, but maybe close enough to the school where I can, you know, utilize their bus system. Most of the time, we lived on the opposite side, so we the, the only way to get to school was with a car. And if the car didn't work, then that shit out of luck. Like <laughs> there wasn't much I can do. You know, so I never had, you know, some perfect, um, perfect, uh, what do you call it, enrollment, or I forgot what it's called, but when you, you know, at school every day, but it's not because I couldn't, it's because, or not because I didn't want to, or try to, anything like that, it's just because we were poor, and like, whatever, the car broke down, if nobody else could, could come and get us, then there's not much we can do, right, and so, when I was growing up, like, the car was one of my greatest enemies, <laughs> because not only could I not get to school and I really enjoyed school, I was a nerd, but I also never was able to hang out with anybody, you know, after school. Because once again, like, there's, if there's only one car, you know, people had to go to work or this, that, and the other. So I never really got to hang out with kids after. And, and, and again, I didn't live close to the school. So the only people in my neighborhood were people who didn't, who I didn't go to school with. I didn't know them. And of course, in, you know, suburban neighborhoods, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if I, if it wasn't, even though it wasn't a high class, like it wasn't, there's no sidewalks or anything like that, but it was still a suburbia. Like it was still a car dependent um, environment. And so I was never able to, you know, to actually, uh, 
make friends and, and hang out with friends after 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 school. Um, and most of that was because we didn't have transportation. So for me, transportation, like cars was my major, my biggest enemy. And then when I learned that, you know, pollution was a problem and cars had a lot of emissions, and I've seen that myself, like whenever you see a bad car, like you can tell the, the, the gas that's coming out is all dirty and looks disgusting. I've seen that plenty of times and that was just like my life. And then I also really hated how similar cars look because I was a huge nerd. You know, I, was, I, I always used to read a bunch of fantasy stuff and try to watch sci-fi shows. And what I noticed in those shows many times is that they have some personality with their cars like their their cars or at least their general tr vehicles like for instance in fantasy books they could ride like dragons and shit like <laughs> crazy stuff and i was just like man why, why don't we do that for real i mean obviously you know I, there's no dragons in real life but i was like you know why don't people design vehicles to look like different stuff again i didn't know anything about like road safety or the fact that you know there's there's um regulations as to how you can design a car and and what's road safe or whatever but you know <laughs> that's still kind of um encouraged my 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 imagination and then on top of all that i had legos right those are like my only real toys um that i cared about um and i was able to i, I used to put 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 together very different types of vehicles so there was this one lego set for instance where they have you building these different types of vehicles like a, a train not a yeah was it no they didn't have a train i didn't have a train set one but it was a, a truck you know it was a pretty big truck a semi and then it was one where like the truck would transform into a submarine or something crazy like that it was pretty cool um well like a car it was carrying no no the truck was like carrying a car and a helicopter or something like that and the, and the car could train could turn transform into a submarine or something of that sort right but it was really cool and it made me think about oh wow how cool would it be if cars were multi-purpose if you can change things around and then i would take apart the whole thing and try to rebuild the truck with all different types of parts so that it looked completely different and kind of did different stuff and then also got me thinking about oh why don't people do this with cars in real life like make them do you know make them look very different and all this other stuff and it just sparked my imagination so when i when i dreamt about hover cars and building these flying vehicles i dreamt about the ability to change the world in such a way that people felt like not just pride about their cars but they felt involved they felt this creativity like i was i was really enamored with creativity even at that young of an age and and just looking at other people and like what if everybody was like super creative you know what if everybody could take their car and mess around with it and all this other stuff um another part to that was because i didn't know how cars worked and i didn't want to know I had, I had this idea in my mind where if I wanted to create something differently, I couldn't, I had to come at it from a naive, like it purposely ignorant standpoint. Like I didn't want to know how cars work today because then I would use in my, my child mind, I figured I would use too much of how cars work today to influence how, you know, the new hover car should work. So instead I, I just started from scratch. Like what, if you wanted to make a transportation vehicle that got from point A to point B, you know and um you know what are different ways that you can do it and then i would just start from scratch and that's why i started looking up like mechanical engineering and aerospace design and all this other stuff just trying to you know rebuild a vehicle from first principles so at a young age i i've been up this is me giving my props like i've been obsessed with completely redesigning how society works and how you know things work and how can how they can be redesigned right and then eventually I, I realized that hover cars wasn't going to solve a lot of these problems, especially as I realized, you know, the, the reality of poverty. Before ninth grade, I didn't know I was poor. Right? <laughs> I didn't know. I thought that was just how people lived. But when I, just, when I was, was, a, was uh, enrolling in college and I started my process in ninth grade because I knew I had to go to college if I wanted to, you know, be, be whatever I wanted to be. Um, for the stuff I wanted to do. And so I started looking up, you know, college, you know, applications and all this other stuff and admissions. And I knew what I did know is that I probably wouldn't be able to afford college on my own. Cause I know we didn't just, we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> I didn't know we were poor, but I knew that we didn't have money to just be throwing around at college. And, uh, college of course cost thousands of dollars. Cause I was like, 
okay, how much does my parents make? Like, how how much, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that, okay, we were way under the, the bar here. Like, the, <laughs> the colleges that had, like, these uh, scholarship things that say, oh, if, you, if you make below this, you know, you could probably, you know, uh, apply for one of these uh, need-based scholarships in addition to the merit-based scholarships. And then the need-based ones were, like, below, like, 40000 60000 a year or something like that. I was like, okay, let me let me see how much my parents are making. It took a while to get that information. Um, they didn't want to tell me the, like the whole story at first, um, but I needed it to to actually apply to these scholarships, you know, to um, see our taxes and all this other stuff. Turns out we we were at the time we were making less than twenty thousand a year, less than twenty thousand a year, my entire family, and I, and it was weird to me because I was like, how? Like both my parents were working, you know, even multiple jobs and all this other stuff. Um, then I started to realize the, 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 the truth of poverty, like in poverty in America and what that looks like and all this other stuff. And I was like, oh man, this, these hover cars are not going to solve any of this. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, I still went to invent it cause I figured if I can invent it, I can at least bring my family out of poverty. But you know, I was like, oh, this not, there's a lot of bigger problems here than, than vehicles, you know? <laughs> so, um, Eventually, I'm skipping all over all, over a lot of like the depression and all this other stuff I've dealt with. But like, um, it was in Europe or around that time when I, you know, I wasn't able to get into college because of the because of the we had like tax problems or this that and the other. Um, but in Europe, when I was sitting there, it's just, it's like this 13 story building. We were on the I think the ninth floor, and it was a, it's 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 down down downtown Atlanta. And it's right next to the Fox Theater. And um, back then, there was not a whole lot of buildings around that area. So you can kind of see out of the window. You can see a lot of Atlanta, like from the from the Ponce de Leon area, you know, downwards. You can see a lot of that area. And it was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I started to have these ideas about rebuilding cities in general. This, you know, um, went with other stuff I was reading and, and, and watching at the time. Um, you started to hear a little bit about the idea of smart cities and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, you know, this might be the thing. Like, what if we completely redesign cities so that it's easier for people to access housing, to get food, to get resources, to get income and all this other stuff? What would that look like? You know, so again, I tried to redesign cities from scratch uh, to see, you know, um, all this other stuff. So, yeah. Redesigning cities, and then I went even bigger than that. Okay, I was like, okay, you know, Atlanta is pretty small compared to other cities, you know. So how would it look in other cities if you had a huge, like a New York-sized thing, you know? How would that look? And then I would, you know, dive into, okay, but a lot of people don't live in these areas. They might live in um, rural areas or, quote-unquote, third-world countries and things like that. How would cities work there? How would you develop them from scratch, right? If people don't have the resources and all this other stuff, how would you do that? Um, oh, and then we also have, you know, pollution problems. So how would we, you know, create more trees really quickly so that they can suck in more more carbon dioxide and all this other stuff? Like, I used to think about this all the time, you know, going down the line of all these problems that we had. And then um, I realized, okay, so this is a lot of tech, cool technical stuff, cool technologies, because most of this was technology-driven. That's who I was. But then I was like, hmm how how would it be possible like how would i even begin <laughs> i had these huge dreams a lot of them with a lot of advanced technology most of it should be theoretically possible because that's where i try to base my stuff and i didn't want to go super far future i wanted to see okay what is possible with today's technology um and granted some of that is probably wasn't as possible as i thought, thought it was but i still tried to gr grant ground it in reality and um so then i would mm -hmm. uh see okay how much would it cost how much would it actually cost to build this stuff and and how would we get that money and all this other stuff right then i started to get into the whole problem of politics and and funding and and you know investments and all this other stuff and i started to realize hmm there's an even deeper problem here money money is very strange because people claim that oh this is too expensive we can't do this but then you know we go off and and you know spend billions of dollars on things like military and, and bigger weapons and then sell those to <laughs> you know messed up areas they, they it's it's a, it's a mess 
you know the fact that and then I, I there's stuff like the Manhattan Project or the space the space race right where they they know they knew they didn't have the money like we didn't have the money at the time to do the Manhattan Project and the space race and all this stuff but they said we, we need this like we need to do it because otherwise Russia or China or whatever will, will will destroy us or Soviet Union at the time right so I Again, I, I looked into history. I looked at the, you know, the history of the CIA, FBI, the, you know, um, the, the military and all this other stuff. And then backtracking beyond that and all this other stuff. And I was like, hmm, money is kind of a weird, weird, a weird thing. Like, why are we so gung-ho about, you know, not spending on this, that, and the other. But we're, we spend billions, upwards of trillions of dollars, you know, in, in multiple years. Um... On other things that don't really improve the quality of life of everyday people, like this is kind of strange here. Like, <laughs> why are we why are we doing this? And so that's when I started to really get into this idea that okay, the deeper problems that we have is not that we don't have, you know, advanced enough technology and all this other stuff. Granted, I still thought that there was a lot of technical or technology based solutions that we needed, but it seemed that there is the, one of the bigger problems that we have is the fact that there are other people in charge of other people's lives meaning and that's kind of a simplification but like the fact that for instance in a company right your boss can be in charge of you know basically everything you that you do <laughs> if you disagree um you can't really do much besides what they allow you know you to do so if they if they accept feedback then sure you can give them that feedback but if they don't then it's, it's tough titties like you have to uh, leave or anything like that uh, one second I might have some work no I'm fine still have a few minutes I have a meeting about 30 minutes so let's let's wrap this up but anyways yeah I started to notice like there's a lot of these 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 occasions where for instance with politicians and policies like they make rules regulations and all this other stuff for the rest of the you know the country or you know even impacts the world to live under and i started to look into democracy and all this other stuff and people claim that you know democracy is this great thing the fact that we can have a say in our government and all this other stuff and i'm like but but do we really like the fact that everyday people um sorry i got messages but anyway the fact that everyday people can make can can vote but then you know what you're voting on and this is why i started voting because i i disagreed like i didn't want to vote i, I you know i used to say all the time like it's literally no point in voting um because like people say oh every vote matters but the the fact is we know for a fact that we live in a representative republic not an actual direct democracy all right so when you vote on something it's not like you're that thing is going to pass it's it's more like a you know, a little bit of weight on the politician who's supposed to be repping for you, right? But it's really up to the politician of whether or not they would actually go for it with that. And of course, there's no direct um, repercussions for if they don't. People claim you just vote them out, but but, but we can't. Like, if there has to be the different types of, you know, uh, rivals there, they have to have people there that, that you would support more. You can't just literally vote them out, um, all this other stuff. So, I started to realize that okay, this this whole democracy thing is kind of a kind of a sham. Like, <laughs> we're not exactly getting as much as we thought. Um, and then there's a, of course the fact that there's a lot of money in politics, right? The fact that people can these or not people, not even people, but the companies who are of course full of people, but people who are looking in the interest of these companies can lobby for certain things. You know, and get those passed or get those, you know, um, happening before anybody or even behind the scenes. Like people don't even realize how much lobbying is happening right now. All right. I started to get into things like, for instance, you may have heard the net neutrality thing. I did a whole articles, couple articles on that and how the whole thing is a sham. Like people are worried about this net neutrality. But the re reality is that that's not even on the table. Nobody cares about what the people think is really it was really a thing between the biggest companies, between folks like Netflix and folks like uh, AT&T with the, um, their servers and, 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 band, and bandwidth and networks and stuff like that. And they were trying to argue to see who, which one is going to pay, you know, for the, uh, the services. Like whenever you watch something on Netflix, is it AT&T that, that has to pay for keeping that, that signal coming to your house? Or is it Netflix that has to pay because they're sending all that content, all that data to your home, right? So either way, like 
it, it was really a thing against between those bigger companies and they were just using the public to try and put a little bit of weight on either side like nobody actually cared about whether or not the internet was going to be free or open and all this other stuff they didn't care <laughs> and you can see this in the actual documents of people who were you know um um lobbying for uh the isps and things like that but the things like that it got it got me seeing i was like okay okay there's some there's a lot of deeper issues here all right <laughs> and as much as i love you know a technological answer the truth the sad truth is that it always comes back down to the people it always comes back down to who is using the technology how are they using it how are they sourcing it like where where are the resources coming for that technology not even about the money like the money is just, money by itself is a useful concept but it's a made-up concept like we we just made it up <laughs> to facilitate you know trade and things like that and again it is useful it is useful but we've gone way too far down the line and we think that it's it's like the only thing that matters right oh if, it, if it's not affordable we can't do it right if it's not if we can't pay for it we can't do it I'm like okay but why are we do we do we have to pay for it you know like think about it as a thought experiment if you are you know digging in your backyard and you can you pick up a rock from that back backyard nobody has to pay you to pick up that rock and then to you know turn that rock into you know um if you want to turn into a sculpture or anything like that right um people say oh you're paying what if somebody wants that wants that sculpture from you right then you can say okay maybe you you can pay them for the effort right for to money is supposed to be a measurement of value meaning how much effort how much energy how much usefulness how much stuff went into this right in order for you to um to not only take not only facility do that trade right but also then use that what you got from that trade in another trade right it's really about the ability to not just trade directly with, between two people but to trade in a market to trade in a whole network of people where other people who might not want what you want what you have they at least will want the money right because they can transfer that to another what they actually want right so it, again it's super useful but the fact is that we we completely lost that um why it's useful right we just think that it's useful just because it is like it's it's not um so where i was going with this is that sure you can pay you know for that statue they made with that rock that they dug in their backyard but they don't you don't have to like if that person wants to give it to you for free they can do that like it's <laughs> the money is only useful if they actually want the money in order to buy something else but what if they don't want the money what if they just want to trade just want to give you know what they have or whatever right we make it extremely difficult to live this sort of life we make it extremely difficult to live a life where you don't actually need or want money and that's kind of weird to me because like again what if you are on this land on some land and you just want to build a house with your bare hands from the dirt that's in that land not even going to other places but just just right there everything is sourced right there locally right that's extremely difficult because even if you quote unquote own the land you still have to pay property taxes right here in america like you don't actually own the land like if you don't pay those taxes they'll come and take your shit <laughs> all right because it's the whole government it's the whole you know nation quote unquote nation that owns everything and we're kind of leasing it from them and we 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 say that oh yes we have this property but you don't actually have this property furthermore the idea that we can even own property is in itself another one of those weird ideas because once it's like that what i was saying in those other episodes it's like owning air right it's just it's just there and we use it but that doesn't mean that we should or you know you know even can own it even if we claim that we own it so it's it's a it's a whole series a whole like multiple levels of kind of weird assumptions that we have about how society works and how it should work right if we wanted to live a different life in which we didn't have to you know um, pay for anything how would we do that All right the fact that we don't even have that option to me points to the, the the idea that we don't actually have the freedom that we claim we do we have these surface level freedoms of claiming that we can say things or, or do things that we want but we can't actually we don't actually have those options if we want to live a life in which we don't need money it's almost next to impossible to do that especially here in america 
right? It's supposed to be the land of the free. You can only do what the people above you allow you to do. And that's one of the major problems, right? The fact that we have these hierarchies. This idea that people above you, the richer folks, the, the more influential folks, the, the powerful people, right? They can tell you what to do and you have to follow what they say because, you know, or they'll uh, hit you with the force, the police or the military, whatever, right? We, we're constantly living under this threat of do our do as I say or else, and we 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 delusion ourselves into thinking that we we're not living that that we have this, as much freedom as we want, but it's really like you know, just like a household where a child is 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 a, uh, um, you know, relegated to doing what the parent says, and uh, they think they have you know some bit of freedom, but if the if the parent is is dominant is real dominant type, you know they will they will. They could bring the, the band hammer down whenever they want. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't matter what the child thinks. You know, if the parent does not think that they are peers on the same level, then the child is, is, is subservient to the parent. And that's how our entire society is set up on multiple levels. So the deeper problem here is, I think, hierarchies in general. The idea that in a, in a and it starts from the household, actually, right? It starts from the fact that in a household, in many households, we have this idea that the it goes the man, you know, the woman, the the husband, the wife, then the kids, right? The fact that we have this 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 simplest of hierarchy in the household supports all the other hierarchies that we have in our government, in our schools, in our in our home, and I'm sorry, in our workplaces, and so on and so forth. The market, right, is the fact that we think hierarchies are normal. And we think that these are, that is just how the world works and how humans work, but that's not, right? And that's what I've been discovering. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually fairly recent that we started to, to think like this. It was actually for hundreds of millions of years, well, millions of years leading into hundreds of thousands of years, sorry, that we've actually were fairly egalitarian in most, you know, situations. And we supported this egalitarian structure by, you know, having communities in which, you know, first and foremost, women females you know can do what they wanted and then you have this gender kind of identities where you can not just be a, a woman or a man but a multiple different you know genders and things like that um according to you know whatever this is the the um spiritual beliefs or the you know the kind of freedom in that in that community allowed and then you know you had this this market you still have markets where you can trade things in certain situations between different um groups but you also had a like these self-sufficient communities in which nobody actually worried about <clears throat> things like money or or um, debt or th- anything like that. Like everything was pulled together. Everything was the commons, right? And in fact, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest propagandas against um, equality, against you know having public areas, was this whole idea of the tragedy of the commons. That entire thing was was basically made up. There's no actual basis in this. There's no, <laughs> there's no, da- there's no data. There's no proof that that the tragedy of the commons is actually real. And in fact, you saw the opposite, where in many places, you know, where they had these, they just started in especially the, the UK areas, even during the fiefdom um, times, where the where many of the peasants who had you know different tracts of land, many of the areas were basically common. So you can. If you had sheep in one land, you can, you know, move it into another person's land and nobody would care. Like, it's just, you know, the sheep are doing what they will and you just walk wherever you want. Um, but then when the, um, the government, you know, went to tax people um, more directly and when they want to make sure they're getting the taxes from every per- person, then they started to specify, OK, this part belongs to this person. This part belongs to this person. And as some of those peasants became became basically the early levels of capitalists where they, <laughs> where they wanted to capitalize on their their quote unquote property. Right. They began to fence off areas, they began to fence off a bunch of areas and try to, you know, keep it privatized for themselves. And actually, you, you see a degradation in the land use. And the, not just the land use, but the land um, quality after that privatization. When they began to privatize these different uh, tracts of land, many of these areas quickly degraded. Because the people in those areas, like the quote-unquote property owner, owners, couldn't actually keep up 
with the maintenance of all this other stuff. Like, it was a lot of land. They couldn't keep up with all that. Or there were certain areas where it, it was like a like a, a gray area where it wasn't commons, but it wasn't privatized because nobody could like draw the lines clean enough in certain areas when it was like rough terrain. So it was just it just sat there and just you know um, kind of the area levels of blight and stuff like that. So the whole tragedy of commons is in and of itself a propaganda, right? And a lot of these things that we take for granted today, um, such as property, such as the idea of um, the left versus right, that's another huge propaganda thing that happened in the in, very recently in the 80s, right, during the Cold War, or the 70s and 80s. So uh, with that, it's a tip from the French Revolution, the left was people who believed in equality, right, who, who, who were all about equality for the most part. And the people on the right were all about the folks who wanted to support hierarchies, right? And so throughout the ages, the last hundred years, last two or three hundred years, they've been, people have been flip-flopping, not based on whether or not they support equality or hierarchies, but flip-flopping these, um, based on, uh, like, what side, like, if they had more power at the time. Like, for instance, the uh, capitalists were at first on the left, because they wanted to use the market to in, enforce that equality. They wanted to use the government as well as to enforce that equality. Because before it was the, um, the monarchies who were in charge of everything. And um, <laughs> they, when they started to create these, these, these marketplaces and things like that, they wanted to, to tell, the, tell the, you know, the, the, those early governments that, hey, you should you know, do, put these rules and this rules and all that stuff. So the aristocracy can't just get off. They can't just do whatever they want. They have to, you know... Um, um, play as the same, play by the same rules as everybody else. Now I'm skipping over some stuff, and I'll, I'll link some of these details in the show notes in the description. But anyways, like it's interesting to note the the capitalists who were very much, and I, I'm calling them capitalists. They weren't capitalists back then. They they would call themselves like um, what you call them merchants and stuff like that. But the early what we would see as the early capitalists, right? They were on the left because they wanted to, you know, support the the equality of the market and versus uh the arist, 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 ah, aristocracy or aristocracy or whatever well on the right because they wanted to support the um ruling powers the their own nobility and then things kind of flip-flopped after the french revolution enlightenment where the these merchants now capitalists are so powerful that they have a whole bunch of money and all this other stuff and so now they were on the right because they wanted to support the hierarchy of the market to say okay uh <laughs> and versus the socialists who were on the left and they were saying okay we want this thing everything to be workers owned like we want equality with all the workers and all this other stuff so they don't have to worry about you know these capitalists trying to force them to live this sort of life or not pay them or things like that versus the capitalists who were like we're just trying to make money man we just want to you know we did we did put all this work to support you know to create the market or this that and other you want to protect our interests so <laughs> You know, it flip-flopped not because not not on um, who was who was for equality, and who was not, but who was who wanted to support their power, and who wanted to support equality. And so the idea today is that you know the left is like some amorphous thing of big government or of you know um, um, collectivism or things like that, and versus the right, which is supposed to be individual individuality and um, small government or some, something like that. Or conservatism, but that's not that's not even what's happening. It's once again the right is the people who want to support these hierarchies, a hierarchical way of you know if a person has more money, then they they have more value, right? Or or if a person has you know some influence, then they have more value. If the person has you know this, that, and the other, <laughs> it's it's an inherently hierarchical way of looking at the world versus the leftist folks who want equality and want to use the government to create that quality or the anarchists who are always far left who said no government whatsoever because if you use the government you're already using hierarchies and so anarchists you know are the ones that always like you know no let's let's try to create equality without any sort of government while some socialists are like let's use the government to create equality and then you have the middle folks who are just whatever each way <laughs> um sometimes they're they're big government sometimes they're small depending on the situation and then the right you know you have you know market or libertarians or whatever who are like let the market speak for itself which really means the the person with the most wealth you know they have the most uh value and then the and then the 
the far right who like yes let's use the government to enforce you know our our family values which is like you know i don't want gay people i don't want this person i don't want that person they really just want to use the government to enforce these hierarchical you know <laughs> views of the world and then you, then you had like the, the the neo-nazis or whatever far far right who like let's use the government to you know um take power over everything and and you know whatever what they whatever they believe in uh, to enforce their own uh race and racial identities or whatever but yeah, the point is like it's always been about equality versus hierarchy. So to me, hierarchy is seems to be the biggest problem as to why we are in this huge mess of today. And the fact that people in in the during the Cold War, they purposely did this. Or maybe not per- 100% purposely, some people did. Some people were just kind of going with the flow. But the fact is that this has been flip-flopped on us and to believe that, <laughs> you know, it's individuals versus this or, or liberty versus equality. It's not. It's not. Right. You need liberty with equality. Like all anarchists believe this. And our, our anarchists are fairly individualistic people that like they want to support as many as many freedoms for the individual as possible, um, while at the same time also as equal as possible. And to do that, you need it in an egalitarian society. You can't do that with hierarchy. Hierarchy in, in, inherently inherently limits people's not only their freedom not only their liberty but also their individuality because you want people to stay in their lane you don't want people to you know grow and to change into you know <laughs> um take down the the power structures that are already in play you claim you know social mobility but we all know that's kind of a a, a, a illusion that's that's a you know um a opium if you will a copium i guess is, the, is a new term for it <laughs> where people you know give you this dream to believe in but um it's really just to keep you sedated and and kind of hoping that things will change while you know p- things will most likely not change um but yeah that's that's all has has been what has been exciting me about to, to write and i didn't even cover you know <laughs> where i went in this newsletter like i started to break down um the idea of human nature and why people are so wrong about human nature and why that's important to to completely you know take apart this wrong idea of human nature and then i went into things like uh um these problems of hierarchy and stuff like that so yeah i'm I'm very excited for this newsletter hopefully i get some time today or tomorrow whatever to, to to do it but that's it for me and um as always thanks for watching oh my goodness thanks for listening have a great day See you. Bye-bye.